So before I start and tell you how I actually met Kyle, I want to tell you something serious, and that is, I am so dang proud of you guys. I preached twice at the, here with you at the old church. I've preached twice at the um, movie theater, and now in here, and you guys made it. <laughs> and I know there was times where you wondered if you were going to or not. And as someone who has watched you on this journey the whole way and listened to Kyle talk about it and, and prayed with Kyle the whole way, I just, as someone who loves you guys, even though I'm not your pastor, I just love you as a pastor, I'm just so prep and, and proud of you too. <laughs> I'm just so proud of you guys. It's um, the stuff you are doing here and maybe even more importantly, the stuff you will do here over the next hundred years is probably beyond what any of us could even imagine. So good job. I'm just, I'm so proud of you guys. So when Kyle and Chris came up here and they were talking about how they were going to do a duet, do you know what instantly flew in my mind of who they reminded me of? Sonny and Cher. <laughs> and, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Kyle would be Cher and uh, Chris would be Sonny. It was just, I was like, wow. Uh, or Donnie and Marie, whichever, whichever the two that you want. So, so yes, I actually was Kyle's parole officer for a while. Then when I had kids, um, it was the strangest thing. I've got daughters, and I went, we went to the information meeting for the Girl Scouts, and Kyle was the leader wearing that sash thing with merit badges. The true story when I met Kyle was, gosh, almost 30 years ago now, 25 years ago now. I was pretty newly married, and my wife had this idea. She said, we need to be cultured people. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, I want us to go do things, like go to the symphony and stuff. And so she, for a four-month period, had planned every month for us to do one really cultured thing. And so the first month, we went to the symphony. And I'm not sure how she did it, but we got to go back afterwards and meet um, the conductor. And then the next month, we went to this play at this little playhouse, and we... We sat there and we watched the play, and it was okay. And then the, th the third month, we went to the opera. Now, you guys don't know me well, but I am not an opera guy. I didn't know what they were saying. I couldn't, I kept going, what are they doing? And she's like, shh. And, but we got to go backstage then and, and meet the, the singer, this big guy. And the fourth month, we, she said, she kept it a secret from me until we were going because she thought I'd say no. And so we drive up, and we were going to the ballet. Oh, and was, I was like, it's good you kept this from me. And so we get to the ballet, and we had really good seats. I mean, like really close. And so the lights go down, and, and suddenly the lights come up, and, and out comes the lead guy in his tights, and it's Kyle. <laughs> and he's wearing like the ballet pants. And I was like, God. And, and I didn't really even know him then at all. He, he was four years in the ministry, and we got to go backstage, and and I sat and talked to Kyle, and I said, uh, young, young man, I know there's more to life for you than this. <laughs> and, and that's when Kyle ended up going into the ministry. And that's how I, that's the true story of how I met Kyle. Or something, thank you. <laughs> I was telling my wife this last night. She's like, you can't do that. He's one of your best friends. And I'm like, that's why I'm doing it. So... In the year 1845, a young man who was 27 years old and had recently graduated from Harvard moved to New York next to a pond. 
and he started building a little cabin there. It was only 10 feet by 15 feet, so the whole thing was about this big right here. And for the next two years, over two years, he lived there next to this pond, and he tried to live incredibly simply. And over these two years, he started writing a book. And when he finished it, several years later, he published this book. In the first year, this book sold a whopping 300 copies. Does anybody know what book I'm talking about? Walden. Walden Pond. It's Thoreau. And Thoreau sat there and he wrote this book. And my guess is most of us have at some point read it. Probably we had to in high school or at some other point in our lives. But in this book is one of the greatest quotes ever that I think is more appropriate in the last two years than it has ever been. And, and here's the quote. I've changed it a little bit, but most people lead lives of quiet desperation. The actual quote is the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. That didn't feel very inclusive to me, so I changed it. But most people lead lives of quiet desperation. Boy, isn't that true over the last couple of years more than ever? There's this just quiet desperation in so many of us. I don't know about Kyle, but I think he'd answer the same. In the last two years, I've done more counseling than in the previous 20 years before that. Person after person coming and saying, I'm miserable and I don't know why. People come in and saying, I don't think I can take it anymore. People just absolutely afraid because if getting a little bit older, you have some pre-existing condition and you're afraid if you get this thing, you might not make it through it. People losing jobs, people worried about retirement, people wanting to feel something and yet feeling just empty inside. Have you had that feeling over the last couple of years ever that you just, you want to feel something but you just kind of feel empty or you just feel like you're going through the motions of life and every day kind of feels the same and you keep thinking to yourself, there's, there's, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Or there's, there's got to be more. And I have so many people who come and talk to me and they're like, I just, I don't know what to do. I just, I just, I feel desperate. Almost what they're really saying is I feel quietly desperate. I, I know there's more, but I, I don't know how to grab hold of it. In times like these, I think, especially those of us who would call ourselves Christians, we wonder if this book can say anything to us about that. That if this book can speak to our daily lives, if this book can really reach out and grab hold of us wherever we are in our daily walk, grab hold of us and have something to say to us. Because if it can't, it's really not any good, right? If it can't, it's not a living book. A living book should be able to reach out and grab us wherever we are, whatever our situation is in life. Grab right hold of us and, and make us feel like God is speaking literally into our soul, literally into our hearts. The great thing is I read through this book, and I've read it a little, is that I find lives of people in here who are, who are absolutely quietly desperate. I find story after story after story of people who are struggling, people who are trying to make it through, people who are calling out, where are you, God? Some of the most faithful people I read about in Scripture are some of the ones who scream out the most, where are you? Why is this happening? Why aren't you making things different? Most of the time, they're not even just quietly desperate. They're just flat out desperate. And two of the biggest people who I think we can see in Scripture who do that are two of the people who we talk about the most during the Advent season, Mary and Joseph. I know last week, Pastor Kyle talked about Mary. 
13, maybe 14 years old and finds out she's pregnant. Now, I know getting married at 13 or 14 was the cultural norm back then, but it's still a little creepy, right? I mean, it still doesn't feel right. 13-year-old, a 14-year-old suddenly finding out that she's pregnant. I mean, the news just had to have been just almost devastating. And you can kind of tell from the way scripture is written that Mary's like, oh my gosh. Knowing what could happen to her, knowing that she was already engaged, which was like being married back then, knowing that she could be stoned to death because everybody would think that she had committed adultery, knowing that her life probably was going to take a huge turn for the worse, you think she was quietly desperate? Oh my gosh, yes. What about Joseph? Joseph live, is living off in Bethlehem. Mary's in Nazareth. Joseph is in Bethlehem. This was probably like some sort of long distance engagement until they could have the ceremony. Like I said, they were, they were engaged, which back then was literally like being married. It was legally binding, just like marriage would be today. But they hadn't had the ceremony yet. Mary's in, in Nazareth and Joseph is down in Bethlehem and their families had probably set up this marriage. We don't know how old Joseph was. Most likely he was an older man. Mary's a very young woman. Joseph doesn't even know that she's pregnant. Mary finds out she's pregnant and almost immediately after she finds out she's pregnant, she runs to her, to her cousin Elizabeth. For three months, she lives with her. Can you imagine the desperation in Mary? You find out you're pregnant. You run from your parents. You run from your whole support system. Why? Well, most likely, they were all torturing her. They were all making fun of her. They were all calling her horrible names. And she leaves, and she goes and lives with Elizabeth. And when she gets down there, would have been the time, most likely, she would have somehow sent word to Joseph, I need to talk to you. And Joseph would have come up from Bethlehem about four miles away to where Mary was. Joseph's an everyday ordinary guy. He's a carpenter, most likely doing carpentry work for, for richer people in Jerusalem. Probably so excited to be getting married to Mary. Mary says in some way, I need to talk to you. And Joseph comes up and Mary must have had the hardest conversation ever. Knowing that Joseph would have the power to have her killed. Have her stoned to death. That was the law. Mary and Joseph, I don't know what happened. My guess is they sat down in the same room and Mary said, I've got to tell you something. I am pregnant and, and, and it's not yours, it's God's. I know if my wife came to me and said, I'm pregnant and it's not yours, it's God's, I wouldn't be like, sweet. That's going to be amazing, cool, right? Just like when I think about Mary's parents, when she came to them and said, I'm pregnant and it's God's, I've got daughters. And if they came to me and said, I'm pregnant and it's God's, I'd be like, right, <laughs> right? You know, I wouldn't be like, yeah. I'd be like, As a man, my guess is, is that Joseph's heart sank, that he felt like he wanted to throw up that he felt every emotion possible. He felt anger, he felt sadness, and he felt confusion. And, 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 and we don't know how that conversation went, but here's what we do know from Scripture, even though it doesn't say it. We know that Joseph didn't believe her because we're told that Joseph left and was heading back home thinking that he was going to divorce her quietly. Joseph heard the story 
didn't believe it and said, I'm done. And we're told Joseph was such a good man that he wasn't going to embarrass her. He wasn't going to public, publicly humiliate her. He wasn't going to have her killed. He was just going to do it all quietly. But we know he didn't believe her. And we know that on that walk back, her donkey ride back to Bethlehem, that, that he must have just felt sick. And, then, and, 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 and he had to be quietly desperate. Mary, quietly desperate. Joseph, quietly desperate. And what happens in both of their lives in that point when they were probably both at the lowest they had ever been? God shows up. Mary, finding out she's pregnant, devastating news it seems like. But the angel comes to her and says, no, no, it's all good. It's the Lord's. You're going to be okay. Joseph, hearing the, probably the worst news he'd ever heard in his whole life. Heading back home, just like, oh my gosh. And an angel shows up and says, no, I'm paraphrasing. No, it's all cool. It actually is God. She wasn't lying. It's, it's all good. This is, this is of God. And Joseph somehow is, is so relieved and he, and he takes Mary as his wife. As I go through story after story after story in the Bible, what we see is not people who are wildly crazy happy. It's the strangest thing. It's one of the greatest things about the Bible that helps me believe that it's true. We don't see story after story after story of people who are just, everything's going their way. They're winning their lottery. Just everything's amazing. Their kids are all perfect. Their marriages are all super happy. They're all thrilled in their jobs. What we see is story after story after story of people who are struggling, people who are hurting, people who feel lost, people who have more questions than answers. And every single time, God showing up and saying, I'm, I'm right here. Where are you? And God somehow shows up and says, I'm right here. There's this amazing scripture in the Bible that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Reminding us that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our doing things that God would never want us to do, in the midst of our living our lives in a way that's completely opposite of God, God's still there. Recently, I led a men's retreat for a church a lot like this church. And, and I started off the retreat pretty near the beginning. I gave every, every man in there an index card. And I said, this is going to be completely anonymous. No one's ever going to see this but me right now. I said, I want you to write down the, the, the sin that you've never told anybody about. I want you to write down the sin that you've carried around that has burdened you for decades. No one's ever going to see it. And I'm going to rip this up as soon as, as soon as we do it. These men wrote this stuff down. I thought they'd, you know, write down little stuff. The cards came and I mixed them all up and I just read them out loud. The depth of sin that people just like us, who were being really honest, anonymously wrote down was mind-boggling. And what it showed me is, is that all of us are in that same boat. We all have stuff we've never told anybody about. We all have stuff that's worn on us for months or years or decades. We all have sins we've asked for forgiveness for but don't believe that God has forgiven us for. We all have those things that we still torture ourselves for. Why did I do that? can't believe what was I thinking. Why did I do that? And we carry it around. Satan just piles guilt on us and guilt on us and guilt on us. And yet scripture says something so amazing. While we were yet sinners, in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us. And what that means is this. Your sin is not more powerful than God's grace. 
That stupid stuff you did doesn't disqualify you from God's love. In the midst of your desperation, in the midst of your acting in ways you wish you would have never done, God was still there. And at this moment, God is still there with you saying, I forgive you. Now go ahead and forgive yourself. So I say to you this morning, if that's you, if you're still in a place where you're still quietly desperate because of something you did in the past or even something you're doing right now, God's forgiven you for that. As soon as you ask for it, it's forgiven. There's another great scripture in the book of Matthew that says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you, does anybody know how that ends? I will give you rest. Anybody felt weary or burdened in the last two years? Feel heavy, feel tired, feel lost? And here's Jesus himself saying, Come to me, all oh, you who are weary. I love that because Jesus does not say, come to me when you got your junk together. <laughs> so good, right? Come to me when you got it all figured out. Come to me when you don't have any more stupid questions. Come to me when you finally put that doubt aside. Come to me when your bank account's where you want it to be. Come to me when your marriage is finally good. Come to me when you're parent of the year. Nope. Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, all you who are quietly desperate, and I'll give you rest. I wish I could tell you exactly how that happens. I wish I could tell you exactly how God will come to you in your life. I can't. Very often, I think God shows up in very small, quiet ways. We want the but God usually comes, Scripture tells us, in a whisper or in a very quiet way. One of the ways I think God comes to us the most often is through other people. You ever had a time in your life when you were just so down and somebody just called you and, oh, my God, you felt lighter? Or you were just, you were just so heavy and someone came along and said, hey, can I, can I help you? Your faith was almost gone and someone said, you know what? I know you can't even pray right now. I know you're so dark and so deep you can't, but let me pray for you. And they, and they just almost literally or figuratively picked you up and carried you. I think that's how God so often comes is to us is through each other. And I think one of the way God often comes as well is, is by using us to help other people. I've never met anyone who actually worked in some way to make someone else's life better who didn't feel closer to God themselves. I think it's the way God programmed us. It's the way God made us to use us in ways that are really powerful to help others. And that's one of the amazing things that you all right here have done to help New Story United Methodist Church. I want to show you a few pictures of things you guys have done. So we'll just go to the first picture. This is our clothes closet. We had started this the very first time I came, and, and some of the money that you guys gave us went to help start the clothes closet. This is just one of the rooms that we have now. We actually have clothes closets at both of our campuses. We have two different campuses, both in poor areas of Winston-Salem. This is the one that we have over at um, our Peters Creek campus where we have our homeless shelter. And so we keep a whole bunch of clothes in there because a lot of times when people come in in the night to our homeless shelter, they are wet and they are cold. And so what we do is, is we tell them, go pick out whatever you want, go into the bathroom, take your old clothes off and throw them away and we will give you however many clothes that you need to be dry and warm. At our other campus, we started off with one um, room. We now have five rooms of clothes closet. Last year, we handled over 100,000 pieces of clothes that we gave out. 
And you guys are the ones that helped us do that. So you literally helped us put clothes on people's backs. This next picture, I think, is a cool one. There's two here. We have recently opened up free food pantries, little boxes that we've put out at both of our campuses. We never realized there'd be such a need for food in that way. We do tremendous food ministries. We fill this little box up. We have one at each campus. We fill them up three to four times a week. We figure we are giving out 500 pounds of food a week now because people are so hungry. On the left here is our kitchen at our Walltown campus. Every Monday night, we make a meal for the community. If you don't know the Walltown campus of Winston-Salem, it's, it is the poorest area of Winston-Salem. And our, our, one of our campuses is right in the middle of it. Every Monday, we have people come from the community and we feed them and we have a worship service. And um, it is rough. It is it is frontline ministry. It is you sometimes put a plate of food down in front of somebody and they cuss you out because the person next to them's piece of chicken was one ounce bigger than theirs. And, um, but, but, but we learn humility in serving and, and, and we serve. We um, now over the six years that we've been doing this at this campus between this and bag meals that we give out, we think we have served 40,000 meals. 40,000 hungry people have been, have been fed because of you guys. You guys are our absolute biggest church supporter. And so when I say because of you guys, I'm not just like talking in generalities. Like, I mean because of you guys. Tens of thousands of people have been fed. It's, it's amazing. This next one is our homework hotspot. We found out during the pandemic, one of the biggest challenges was, was for poor kids to be able to get online. And they were falling further and further behind. And so we took the upstairs of our Walltown campus where we had kids' classrooms. We revamped them a little bit, bought computers, put in extra internet access, and started tutoring so that we could help these kids who are being left behind by everybody else try to get I mean, I'd love to stand up here and say, because we did this, they all got A's and are going to Harvard. No. But they're a little bit less behind than they would have been. They know even more importantly that there's actually people who care about them. Did you know that one of the greatest ways that you can show God's love to somebody else is literally just by caring about them? So often we think we have to do these, see these amazing things, have memorized all this scripture. Nope. Literally by showing someone that you care about them, showing them God's love, it's one of the most powerful forces there is on earth. I think this is the last picture. Oh, no, go back to this one. Go back to the one before that. This is Bobby. Bobby is our very part-time outreach pastor at New Story. Everybody is very part-time. I put Bobby's picture up there because this was the first time that Bobby ever gave a message. This was at our Walltown campus, and he was sitting there. He was nervous. He was holding this book. He was shaking. He could barely hold on to it as he gave the message. And I put that up there because one of the coolest things I think that we've been able to do because of um, the position God has put us in is Bobby will be the sixth minister, sixth person going into ministry coming out of our church, six people coming out, people with a real heart for the Lord. This next picture will be the last one. Um, the last time I was here, um, we were talking about how um, y'all's offering was going to go to help us start a free dental clinic. And we did that. And this is one of the two chairs that we have. We have a, a room. We also do medical care for the people. 
We started off doing it. Um, you want to talk about people who are quietly desperate. Imagine somebody who's not been to the dentist for 15 years. People who are pulling their own teeth because they hurt so much. So we used the money that you guys gave us last time. We started this free dental clinic. Immediately, we had a six-month waiting list, immediately. And we probably could have had a three-year waiting list because it's much easier to get medical care than it is dental care if you are um, in financial trouble. We started this. We've been able to expand it again. And now we've actually just doubled it again so that we can try to see, see patients. And... I would show you some of the pictures, but we never show pictures of the people who come to News Story because we value their privacy, we value their dignity. But uh, this person, I was here when this person was being treated, and if you could see the smile on this person's face when they were finally had some dental work done, it was, it was amazing. And again, it's because of you guys. And so as the pastor of News Story Church, as a pastor in general, even more so just as a Christian brother, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you for um, what you have done. You know, the, the ministry that we do is, a, is some of the most glorious ministry that you could do, and it's some of the most challenging too, I think. And, and you know, I can't tell you, when I was telling my church that I was coming down here to preach again, and people were like, that's the church that always helps us, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, my God, please tell them thank you. So, you know, on behalf of like hungry people and homeless people and people who have no clothes and people whose mouths are in pain and people who've been sick forever and couldn't get to see a doctor, just on behalf of all of them, thank you. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes when, when we come to church, we think, well, I'm not really making a difference. Well, you have. And so I just want to thank you on behalf of all the quietly desperate people who we serve. And I just want to remind you that in the midst of your own quiet desperation, whatever it is, and that God is with you, and that God will never leave you, and God will never, ever forsake you. So hang on. Hold on. If it starts to feel really, really bad this Christmas season, because I know it can be a really tough season. You know, we, we light candles, and we have trees, and we sing songs, and a lot of us are like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm so lonely. So empty. You know, if that's you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and help somebody else. In fact, that's what I want all of us to do. You find some way over the next three weeks to go out and make a difference in somebody else's life, whatever it is. And as you do, I, I promise you, you will feel the presence of Christ in your heart. So, so they have asked me to finish with a long prayer so that all the kids can come in. So when I pray this long prayer, I don't want you to think, my God, when's he going to stop? Okay, I'm doing this because they asked me to. So as the kids come in, as I'm praying, here's what I want you to pray. They're going to be nervous up here. I want you to be praying. As you, you can open your eyes during this prayer. It's okay. God will be cool with it. And as you see kids walking in, I want you to just pick out one of them, and I want you to be saying a prayer for them. I want you to pray for them that, 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 they, that they feel comfortable up here. I want you to pray for them in school. You, you may not even really know their name, but you just pray God's blessings on them. So let's bow our heads, and as the kids come in and the choir comes up and whatever else happens, we will <laughs> we'll pray. Oh, Lord, we are so thankful for this journey that you have us on, even though it's filled with potholes and even though it's tough sometimes and even though... It seems like there's dead ends, and we are just so thankful that you walk with us on it. 
We're thankful for stories like Mary and Joseph in the Bible that remind us even in our quiet desperation, you are right there with us and that you won't leave us and that you won't forsake us. And God, I ask a special blessing right now on every person who's in this room and those who are watching online, that you might grab right hold of each one of us and remind us again and again that we are your children and you are our God. And the moment we ask for forgiveness, we are forgiven. Lord, I ask a special blessing right here on South Park Church that you might use this space, that more importantly, you might use these people here to change the world and to make a difference. The Lord is in your great and beautiful and holy and gracious name that we pray. Amen.